Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. So as the world begins to take in the Olympics, many of us refuse to turn our televisions on, our monitors on, refuse to connect to a propaganda campaign of the Chinese government done on behalf of the International Olympics Committee. Now, God bless our athletes. I know they've been working their entire lives, most of them, in order to get to this point of the Olympics. And it's not in any way to take away from the work that they've put in or from the value of their representation of our countries, those of us that are blessed to live in free countries in the West. And we realize that Every two years, the Olympics represents a mechanism of setting aside political differences, setting aside the machinations of geopolitics and the differences between our governments and the antagonisms that exist. However, there has to be a line. In World War II, we saw the lines that were attentive to be drawn and so many of the amazing stories came out of those who wanted to boycott Olympics and as a result of not only the hard and hot wars that were existing at that time and were about to launch or did launch in World War II, but then through the Cold War against the Soviet Union we saw many episodes in which Moscow Olympics and others were also addressed front and center as to whether we should boycott, whether we should attend at all with acts of terrorism that occurred also around those times. But this year, with the Chinese Olympics, with the wake of the pandemic, with the virus that came out of China, with the World Health Organization that's compromised, with the United Nations that's compromised, there are so many fronts to this battle. Today I want to talk to you about how I, as an American patriot, how I, as an American Muslim, believe that not only is a Cold War with China in the best interests, but the Olympics was a missed opportunity in order to demonstrate that it's a new day in a change in the orientation that I think one of the one of the worst foreign policy moves in the last hundred years, which was the opening door policy with China, which was the Nixon-Kissinger campaign, to open economics with China. And as we've always seen, many of us have felt, as you look in Iran and elsewhere, sanctions work. You dry the spigot of economics to a regime and it will begin to squirm. You give them billions and they will use it to oppress their masses to continue to parasitize the regime, not only on its domestic, but on its regional and global oppressive moves of terrorism and elsewise. And we see this in Iran. We saw it historically. So to those who say that sanctions don't work, I say there's multiple reasons that you impose sanctions on regimes that are 
bad actors, uh, one of which is moral complicity in the evil that they do. And we're going to talk about that today, which is moral complicity in evil, moral complicity in genocide. And we can't continue. We can't continue to ignore what's being done in the Xinjiang province of China or East Turkmenistan, which is the Uyghur population. And then all of the American companies that are part of that part of that complicity, if you will. We saw Tesla open a showroom right in the province. Sending a message. Sending a message that Tesla really just cares about profits. That it uh, wants to break into the Chinese market and to demonstrate its good faith, it will open a showroom of its electric vehicles in the province in which the slavery, the genocide, the abuse of Uyghurs, the Uyghur population happens. A subliminal or an obvious message, if you will, whichever way you want to look at it, that they don't care about these things and it's simply about the bottom line. Desperate to sell in China. Andrew Harrod at the American Thinker puts it best in which he says Elon Musk puts profits before human rights and that he wants to get back in the good graces with the authorities of the Chinese Communist Party opening a showroom in a place declared off-limits by much of the civilized world. But the business gamble signals to the Chinese, we believe you and so return, believe in our product. That's Tesla's conclusion after announcing the showroom opening, according to Andrew, who hits the nail on the head. And Elon Musk elevated the voltage risk of wading into a human rights outrage that has disrupted other Western companies. Musk's short-term move may have long-term implication in the Xinjiang province. China's communist tyrants have reportedly detained over a million Uyghurs and other members of the Muslim minority groups in political education camps in which they're raped, tortured, seen Qurans to be flushed down the toilet, ripped, defecated on. And every religious moray they have is abused. They're forced to eat pork in Ramadan. They're forced not to fast and to eat during the sunlight hours. Chinese officials have praised Tesla's choice, a shift from their criticism of the company and Musk over the past year. Tesla heralded the new showroom's opening in an official account on Chinese social media site Weibo. Quote, the CCP said, on the last day of the 2021, we meet in Qingchang. In 2022, let us together launch on its electric journey, the Qingchang province. So clearly they are branding Tesla with that province. Harsh criticism came in response from across the political spectrum. Given recent American policy decisions, the showroom's inauguration timing is startling. As we see an overwhelmingly bipartisan act, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which bans imports from Xinjiang unless companies can prove that they did make their products with forced did not make their products with forced labor. The act's author, Senator Marco Rubio, of the Center for Relations Committee ranking member, made his 
disappointment with Musk abundantly apparent. He said, right after President Biden signed the Senator Rubio Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act into law, Tesla opened a store in Xinjiang. He tweeted, nationless corporations are being are helping the Chinese Communist Party cover up genocide and slave labor in the region. And then other senators followed suit, highlighting what they're doing. According to Sinatech, Tesla has more than 200 stores in China and opened Tesla's first factory outside the United States in Shanghai in 2019. The new showroom in Jingjiang's capital, Umrukui, is Tesla's 11th in northwestern China. Other foreign auto brands, including Volkswagen, General Motors, and Nissan, also have Unrumki showrooms. Yet these firms are not Tesla. The high-profile company and the high-flying Musk are much more prominent, according to Andrew Herod, offenders in the eyes of many. Any company, according to Scott Paul, president of the American Trade Group Alliance for American Manufacturing, any company doing business in Jingjiang is complicit in the cultural genocide taking place there, but Tesla's actions are especially despicable. Consumers and citizens should remember this in future product and policy choices. So as, we, as I sort of review sort of the lay of the land and the economic and cultural war with you against China, these things are important. Are American companies based in free markets kleptocratic or are they grounded by some type of moral compass? Is China too big to ignore? Well, Tesla had hardly any business there before two years ago. So to say somehow, you know, that's even, we're going to get into Nike and some of these others and NBA, which has been doing business there for decades, but it, it, it is just mind-boggling at how little price they pay, how little price they pay. And it is about time that we begin to edge towards, if not openly declare, a dissension, a cold war against the economics and the oppressive, oppressive nature of the Chinese economy and the Chinese Communist Party. They are not our allies. They are stealing our technology from every level, militarily and otherwise. They are infiltrating our personal information of all of our citizens, our government, and otherwise. And they are influencing our politicians, influencing our media, as we see in Hollywood. Even the Atlantic, part of the elite establishment, had a piece out this week talking about how China captured Hollywood. Over the next century, according to Eric Schwartzel, China wants to use the movies to rebrand itself, and it has learned how to do so from the best. And it's beginning to recapture itself. Well, sure it will. A lot of Hollywood has been filming movies in China. Cheaper labor. With much, much cheaper ability to produce million, hundreds of million dollar movies at a dime on the dollar. And yet, there's no accountability, but now we're starting to talk about it. Why are we talking about it more so? Well, there have been some high-profile dissenters. Ennis Cantor is one of them. And Ennis Cantor this week as many, I've talked about him on this program before. He changed his name to Ennis Cantor Freedom. He's a dissident whose family escaped 
Some of his family still there, but escaped Turkey, and he came to the U.S. to play basketball. And now has changed his name to Ennis Cantor Freedom. Now, he's been very high profile. We've always wondered what would happen if an American Muslim high profile took on the Islamists. And Cantor, as much as he doesn't talk about political Islam and Islamists, certainly talks about the evil nature of Erdogan and his party, his Islamist AKP, bringing attention to the tortures done to journalists, to free thinkers in the tens of thousands in Turkey. And now he's been attacked both domestically and globally by Erdogan's cronies, by his useful idiots. And now after a few years of doing that, using the bully pulpit of his celebrity status, and also adding to this issue not only his work against Erdogan and his regime in Turkey, but adding the issue of the Uyghurs, and beginning to bring attention, especially in the last six months as we headed towards the Olympics, National Review, Dan, National Review's Dan McLaughlin wrote a piece just a few days ago on the fact that the Chinese media, the Chinese Communist Party, was gloating about their PRC influence on the NBA as Ennis Cantor freedom is cut from the Celtics. He was traded by the Boston Celtics to the Houston Rockets at the trading deadline last Thursday and then promptly cut by the Rockets. So he got traded on the, right at the deadline and then was cut. Remember, he had gone to the Portland Trailblazers for a few years, Celtics, Trailblazers, back to the Celtics, and now in no man's land. The four-player deal made some sense for the Celtics, possibly, who were stalled and in need of retooling, and were trying to clearly clear the salary cap space. Cantor Freedom played in every game for the Portland Trailblazers last season after getting little playing time in his previous tenure with the Celtics, and this time was no different. He was used in just 25 of 53 games and just 11.7 minutes a game. With so little playing time, his scoring opportunities were few. The center averaged 20 points per 36 minutes over the prior seven seasons and was averaging just 11.2 points per 36 minutes. Still, the Celtics abandoned their best rebounder and the only guy on the roster over 6'9". It's harder to see a non-salary cap basketball justification for the Rockets, who have the worst record in the Western Conference, although their center is their best player, and they're, they're likely more interested in landing a high draft pick than in winning games right now. And immediately you're going to start to see sort of uh, um, across social media comparisons to Colin Kaepernick, the um, celebrity activist who was a below-average quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers that could not find a home and blamed it on racism and his activism, or Chris Clue. But Cantor Freedom is not just a fading player using politics, as Dan points out at the National Review, as an excuse for running out of jobs. He was still averaging 14 rebounds per 36 minutes, and at 29 years old, he should still have some years left as a banger at the paint. And certainly he's a guy that's a contending, that a contending team could use. 
like the 76ers could, or who just traded backup center Andre Drummond and could use a guy with a little of the spirit of 76. I like that allusion from McLaughlin at the National Review. But the question is, who's calling the shots, as Dan points out? Who is calling the shots? But will his politics, will Ennis Cantor Freedom's politics particularly his criticism of the Chinese Communist Party getting blackballed from the NPA. Remember, a couple weeks ago, the NPA owner who says, nobody cares about the Uyghurs. Or LeBron King, King James, who truly fits his monarchical position, told him that Cantor was just being critical of LeBron James' money he makes from China because he, because he's jealous of his celebrity status. But he won't respond. He'll just stay silent. Certainly, Cantor Freedom, whose passion for human rights, as NRO points out, comes from experience with the authoritarian government in native Turkey, has upped the rhetorical ante of late. He added freedom to his name. He called for an athletic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. He slammed Yao Ming, the popular former rocket center, as a puppet of China on the Laura Ingram show. He's speaking at CPAC, the conservative political action conference. And now he says that a Democratic senator told him that Biden is afraid to meet with him for fear of offending the Turkish government. Oh, you don't want to offend the Islamists? And Turkey actually is playing both sides of the Chinese equation, as a lot of these Islamic countries are. Islamist countries. He also cut a fantastic ad for the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education. On Wednesday, he predicted in a PBS interview that they would blackball him. He said NBA teams would, quote, do everything they can not to re-sign him. A day later, the vocal anti-China critic was traded and subsequently waived from the roster of his new team. So recently, whenever I have a conversation with someone from the NBA or one of my ex-teammates, they're like, he said, listen, this is your farewell tour. Have fun with it. Enjoy it. I hope you win a championship because I don't think you're going to sign another contract after this year, Freedom said during a Wednesday interview with PBS's firing line. So what you're saying is you believe the NBA is going to punish you? Margaret Hoover asked, I don't want to say they're going to punish me, but I'm going to say that they're going to do everything they can to, I believe, not sign me now, Freedom said. And that sure happened the next day after that interview. And and look at the way it was done. It wasn't the Celtics that fired him. They traded him as part of a four-player deal, and then the Rockets just didn't sign him, didn't put him on the roster. And the Rockets were the worst team in the league, so who cares? So tell me that doesn't, you can be a conspiracy theorist if you want, but you don't have to be one to, just ask a question. Is who's calling the shots there? The Global Times, a newspaper that's basically a belligerent propaganda arm for the Chinese Communist Party's People's Daily, and it was designated a foreign mission by the State Department, basically backslapped itself and uh, the party for congratulating the NBA for getting rid of Ennis Cantor. Freedom. 
It's a reliable barometer of the nationalistic idea of the CCP under Xi Jinping. Its jubilant response was to brag about how Chinese influence could deter the NBA teams from wanting to sign him. And their quote is just unbelievable. The NBA team, the Houston Rockets, which has a large fan base in China, the paper said, waived the controversial Ennis Cantor freedom after acquiring the center via trade with the Boston Celtics. After ESPN announced the trade through a Twitter post, netizens swarmed to the platform mocking the player who's been ignorant and arrogant on China's core interests and internal affairs, such as those involving Qingcheng and Taiwan. Broadcasters in China have yet to resume games featuring the Celtics, making the anti-China Cantor freedom look like a burden to the league that has hundreds of millions of audience members in China. If this is the end of the NBA career, Freedom's future path doesn't seem as surprising as he makes it out to be. Now you can be a full-time John Bolton puppet, commented Zheng Weihua, China Daily's EU bureau chief, receiving over 1,600 likes. Look at that. Talk about propaganda. That is a Chinese news report, quote-unquote news, about Cantor Freedom. Talking about hundreds of millions of viewers that were rejected because of Cantor Freedom. Freedom wasn't a popular character in the NBA. He called out LeBron James, one of the greatest NBA, greatest basketball players that ever played, for not standing up to sponsor Nike and its alleged use of forced labor in China. Alleged use which proved to be fictitious and fabricated. <laughs> James responded that Freedom tried to use his name to create an opportunity for himself. Well, as Dan ends his piece, hopefully an NBA team will give Cantor Freedom another chance to rebound. If not, it's fair to ask whether the CCP is calling the shots in the NBA. And I wrote a piece at the Washington Examiner last week with Karis Rhea about the hypocritical elites and when it comes to China, when it comes to kleptocratic approach to so-called free markets, in which these are not free markets. These are a, a way to snuff out competition by utilizing cheap forced labor abroad and then bringing those products back here to try to decimate American companies and dominate the markets without any care for what's done morally, immorally, corruptly, and genocide in China. It's generally believed that the richer and more famous you are, the more power and influence you yield. Cantor Freedom has proven this premise false. God bless him for his courage. He's been trying to draw attention to the human rights abuses in China as well as his motherland, Turkey. He called out he called out so many who have been oblivious to the crimes against humanity done by the Chinese Communist Party. And and, and, and you know he's going to whatever media will hear his story, and yet as some of us in the Muslim Reform Movement know, when most of that media ends up being conservative, you're portrayed as a right-wing fascist, as an extremist, 
because the Islamists don't want to deal with the message. The Chinese communist sympathizers don't want to deal with the message. They just like to tarnish the messenger. And they're doing the same thing with Ennis Cantor, freedom. And while he may not be characterized personally as a conservative, he sure is pro-freedom, pro-Western, and anti-Islamist, at least of the highly problematic Muslim Brotherhood and Shia, Shia Khomeinist varieties. And just like the Ahmadiyya, the Ismailis, the Gulenists have suffered under the Islamists in Turkey. And we've seen this in Iran, we've seen it in Afghanistan as other in Pakistan as heterodox sects of Islam are tortured and oppressed. And Cantor began to bring attention to these. And it's not surprising that global and domestic Muslim communities and organizations have been tellingly silent about Cantor Freedom's protests. And as he ends up speaking more in venues that are right of center, he's being tarnished as a conservative, when in fact, there's very little to really know where he is in the American political construct of left and right politics, whether he believes in freer markets, socialists, etc. Probably, probably right of center, I would guess, but who knows? But yet the Islamists and their red-green alliance with the communists and the far-left progressivists, to them all that matters is identity politics, and he definitely does not feed into that and stands against it. But let's look just for a second why he's been rejected, different from the Colin Kaepernick's, the Black Lives Matter movement that paced itself across every NBA stadium while one of the players tries to tell the NBA about its hypocrisy and it doesn't seem to take hold. His is a righteous pursuit no matter which way you slice it. And yet instead of being embraced by the liberal community and his fellow so-called social justice warriors on the court, freedom can't seem to get significant mainstream traction. And yet LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, anti-racist activism and messages of solidarity with Black Lives Matter were celebrated, echoed by Hollywood, New York, and the flyover culture. And in the halls of Congress's left, the disparity is revolting. It's nauseating. Why isn't Cantor Freedom being held as a champion of human rights for the oppressed, the weak, the beleaguered, the victims of genocide this week? So I think the Olympics are going on. I'm not watching it, but they're in the middle right now. The answer could be found in plain view. And now, let's circle back. I read to you what the Chinese media was using to lift up the greatest player of all time, LeBron James, and what he said against Cantor Freedom. Let's look at that. LeBron James King, King James as his Twitter handle is, so fitting, monarchical autocrat that his mindset is. He's definitely not someone I would give my energy to, James talked about Cantor Freedom. He's trying to use my name to create an opportunity for himself. I definitely won't comment on that too much. How patronizing, but how telling. Hypocrites like LeBron James reveal, reveal the collective narcissism of the elites. 
they claim, they presume to be on the right side of politics because they're towing the cultural party line. But the narcissism is rancid when placed at the feet of the crimes against humanity that they excuse and turn a blind eye to from Xinjiang to Turkey. James attacks the messenger. He didn't attack the message. And he signaled that, you know what, for Hollywood and those of us celebrities and this thing, that want Americans to come and clap and let us get billions across the ocean in, in uh, regimes like China that oppress, that, that oppress over a billion people. They signal that being famous doesn't automatically lend credence to a cause. So their Black Lives Matter thing is not just because they're famous, but it's because the relationship by which people align themselves on popular cultural issues is a superficial one. They're not actually interested in the underlying ideology or the principles of preservation of individuality against slavery. If they really cared about slavery which is what the Black Lives Matter movement was all about, that America was born through critical race theory, that it was a racist, slavery-based institution that is America. If they really were against slavery, then it should be against slavery everywhere. Not just in American history, but everywhere. If they truly had the moral high ground, if they truly believed in their own virtue signaling to movements that appear to be righteous, that allows them, instead of the reality the ideas, but to gain cover for protecting and advancing their own financial status. That's it. It's simply about advancing the protection of their own financial status. And that's why James doesn't have to address Nike's use of Uyghur Muslims as slave labor or Turkey's imprisonment of more journalists than any other nation. He doesn't respect his colleague who was at the Celtics and now was let go about the issues that matter to him also as Cantor was supporting the Black Lives Matter attention for a few years now as it became a high priority for the NBA. We hear about it at every game. No, the only crimes against humanity that popular leftist culture rallies against are those not in conflict with their own interests. So picking up the issues of Uyghur slave labor will never become a cause celeb because corporate and Hollywood elites make millions off the Chinese economy and are motivated by self-preservation on the shoulders of genocidal tyrants. So, as some of you if you're any of you are watching Olympics, and by the way, it's got the lowest ratings it's had, I think, in 30 years. I don't know. I read somewhere typically 20, 30 million people are watching now. It's somewhere between 10 and 15 million. Big companies such as NBC, NBA, the NFL, Apple, Coca-Cola, Tesla, move where the market seems to give them the greatest benefit. But do they have a moral compass? Are they going to make money? in areas in which it is purely a corruption that they would never do in America. And they have no accountability. In fact, those media apparatuses over there, i.e. the People's Daily in China and its permutations here, will help them succeed, will advertise for them and use their culture because they are working cooperatively with us. 
They don't have to support the interests of the black community. They can merely pay homage to the underlying ideology and the masses will fail to detect the lack of evidence in their direction. My last point on this is that across the globe, dissident Muslim voices are being marginalized by the bullying mobs of the red-green communist-Islamist axis. That axis is a marriage of convenience between the dedicated liberals and liberal Islamists who've been illiberal Islamists who've been successful in exploiting identity politics to further their goals. But Ennis Cantor, he's going to have to jump through hoops to get his honorable message out. Now let's look at globally in the last minute here we have together. Imran Khan, I think, sort of epitomizes how not only un-Islamic but morally corrupt pretty much every Islamic dictator and leader and autocrat on the planet is. Because he came out full on, not only just sort of ignoring the crimes against humanity, but he defended China's Uyghur genocide. Imran Khan, the prime minister of the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, he expressed support for China during a meeting with the Chinese dictator. The Hindustan Times reported, the Pakistan side expressed its commitment to a one-China policy and support for China on Taiwan, South China Sea, Hong Kong, Xinjiang, and Tibet. The Chinese Communist Party has estimated 1 to 3 million Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and Krizik people in concentration camps since about 2017. It's been designated a genocide and crimes against humanity by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which I was a part of until 2016. That was designated October 21. Khan said his major worry concerns how to protect Muslim youth from the invasion of social media and their faith and religious and ethical values. His priority in speaking with China was about saving young Muslims from being inundated with obscenity, pornographic material available on the net. He wanted to form a coalition of 50 Muslim nations to organize and help push, push Islamist agendas worldwide and talk about banning blasphemy and, free, and limiting free speech. It has even gone beyond lip service. Some human rights organizations have accused the and then one of them is the International Forum for Rights and Security published a report in January accusing the Pakistani government of transnational repression against Uyghurs, including forced deportations at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party. Anyways, it's not just Khan. Many of the Arab monarchies and others are so deep in with the Chinese trillions of dollars of economy that... They don't care about Muslim people. They're racist at core anyway, many of these monarchs and dictatorships. The way they have slavery in their own countries, like in Qatar and elsewhere, it's it's all duplicitous, duplicitous hypocrisy that recognizes nothing about the individuals and freedom. Last, I could not agree more 
with the comments from Gabriel Scheinman in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago in which she said, it is time that the U.S. should want a Cold War with China. And she goes through how a Cold War mentality could really tip from responsible competition to deeper competition. I want to leave you with the comments from Gabriel Scheinman on how we should want a Cold War with China, she wrote in the Wall Street Journal just a few days ago. And President Biden actually made it clear that he does not want to do that, and his opinion is of the fact that it uh, actually would be more problematic. He said a Cold War mentality could easily tip from responsible competition to conflict, leading to serious military catastrophe. So clearly, the Biden administration has thought about this. But a Cold War is a winnable. But but a Cold War is a winnable war, as Gabriel says. And instead of handing over our work and 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 uh, uh, saving them billions upon billions in research and technology to compete with us, we're handing it to them through exchange and building of factories, etc., within their populations and employing their people. Sanctions instead would push them back decades. Sanctions instead would have them compete with us and take away over half of the world's GDP is in Western democracies. If we took that away from their economy, it would begin to weaken them and they would not have the advances that they're making and be as toe-to-toe as they are with our technology. To say somehow that 50 years of an open-door policy has been working is foolhardy. As she says, the strength of American soft power underscores the appeal of the U.S. democratic system and the American way of life. The Chinese government, on the other hand, fears its own people. Beijing's internal security budget has grown faster than its national defense budget. Despite last week's display of affection between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin in Beijing, China has no major allies and its behavior is driving increasingly unfriendly relations with nearly every nation other than some of the Islamist ones I mentioned to you. Deterring a Chinese attack on Taiwan is important, but it's the only measure of who has the stronger geopolitical hand. Hard power will be necessary, but not sufficient for winning in the 20th century. More than half of China's top-tier researchers ended up moving to the U.S., which has the highest-ranked universities and the highest gross grossing technology companies. It may be able to keep up with the U.S. militarily, but it can't compete in broad and sustained competition for the hearts and minds. So, I couldn't agree more that ultimately it is important. Yes, it might keep us a little more nervous, but... There is, a, there is a significant amount of ignorance about the reality of the conflict between America and China. So yes, even beyond the genocide happening to the Uyghurs, there is an American primary security interest in deepening a Cold War mentality against China. The Cold War against the Soviets might have had some near misses as a result of the weakness, uh, typically, of Democratic presidents, as we saw with Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. But ultimately, 
We won the Cold War with the dissolve, dissolution of the Soviet Union without ever firing a bullet against the Soviets. Maybe some proxy wars, etc., but nothing direct conflict. And I sure think that that is, on a scheme of things, safer. Not only for moral consistency that will then end up, if we are in a Cold War, driving Hollywood and they fly over culture to do the right thing because they're forced through sanctions of government and no longer make money off of the corrupt fruit poisons of toxic oppression and slavery. Spread the word. We can be a better nation. We can set the standard globally for the freedoms that we endorse and we believe in here. And we should lift up heroes like Ennis Cantor, Freedom, and others. And yes, we will congratulate our Olympians for how they do, but I don't want to know right now. I'll find out when they get back. It's unfortunate that we did not boycott the Olympics. We're turning a blind eye. The opening ceremonies which I was forced to see some clips of in uh, news reports that I happened to be watching, was simply a, a, a pathetic, nauseating propaganda piece for the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party. It was absurd, and yet we participated. All right, folks, it's always great to talk to you. God bless. Hope you're doing well. And we'll be back soon on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R and also at Reform This Radio. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.